0: Well, I'm Zach Bushy here with Glendora City News, and we are doing our first podcast. And my, um, my guest today, who's hoping to talk to us a little bit more in the future as well and tell us things coming down the pipe that affect Glendora, is Cliff Hamlow, the uh, chair of the Legislative Action and Economic Development Committee, former city council, former mayor of Glendora, and the planning commission as well here in Glendora. So thank you, Cliff, and thank you for coming to visit us. Good to be with you and to be able to talk about issues that affect uh,
1: Glendora folks.
0: <laughs> we, uh, we definitely appreciate it. Now, the reason for us doing this podcast is to just get it in a different format. Some things are going to be, I mentioned it, coming down the pipe, affecting people in Glendora. And if, um, unfortunately, nowadays, a lot of these things we don't know about until they happen. And I'll, I'll bring up a perfect example is the paper straws. People heard rumors and didn't know if it was different cities or statewide or whatever until you're sitting there drinking out of a paper straw and you're being looked at like you're some kind of criminal if you ask for a plastic straw if you're using one. So somehow that became became a big deal. And it was just, in my opinion, it was kind of put on people without people knowing it was really going to affect them too much.
1: There are a lot of things that go on in Sacramento. In fact, with uh, 4,500 bills that they're looking at in this session... It's very hard for uh, any group to keep track of exactly what's happening. Those bills go through, they're introduced, and then they go through various um, committees, both in the Assembly and in the Senate, and in that process, people have a chance for input, but uh, you don't know exactly when they're coming out.
0: Yeah, now these we have about 6 or 7 we're going to look at right now. And would you say these are further along than most? These aren't just some some wacky idea or something that somebody's mentioned. These are actually bills that have been written, presented and are in some form or another in in the approval or voting stages for our, for our state. Yes, that would be true. They're in they're in committees
1: and there are there are committees that can kill the bill, but it will come back Bills in the Senate and the Assembly in California are two-year bills, and uh, this is the first year of this two-year session, and so they'll try to get it done in that period of time. If not, it usually comes back in the next session in another light.
0: Okay. Well, we'll try to keep each subject to about two, two and a half minutes just to give an introductory to people regarding these bills. Of course, we'll have a link where people can follow it to learn further about each one, and uh, we'll just kind of give a broad overview and... Uh, maybe if you can also, Cliff, as far as what kind of time frame, I don't know if all these are in the same time frame or what kind of time frame you see these is affecting us if they do go through. Well, they'll all have start dates
1: on them, and they'd like to have them start. And mo- Some of them will be uh, bills that uh, come into play probably in 2022, but uh, there
0: are several of them that will that are current. Okay, well, 2022 is right around the corner, so – um, let's jump into it. Um, the first one, um, Cliff, would you like to kind of give us a little introduction about that? Well, there's assembly Bill uh, 5
1: which deals with the independent contractors. The California state Supreme Court um, ruled that in a, a uh, in a, in a su- suit that was uh, brought by Dynamex that, um, identifies what an independent contractor is. Well, an independent contractor has uh, been uh, someone that uh, met three conditions in the past. A worker was free from the control and direction of the hirer in relation to the performance of the work. And the worker also performed the work outside the usual course of that particular business. And the third was the worker worker's uh, Customarily engaged in independently established trade or occupation, such as a hairdresser or a, a manicure or someone that's a gardener, even or or a truck driver. And uh, now, would
0: real estate agents fall under that too? I think they. It seems you know, very broad because all these people they're independent contractors, and it says they're you know free from control, but that's not true. You know, most subcontractors, independent contractors. You have to have good relationships. You have to keep out a certain amount of work. It, it just seems very vague, and it seems like, uh, it, it, it. to be honest, it just seems like a very bad example of trying to fit everybody into one category or the other. I think that probably they would be under the uh,
1: ruling. And the Supreme Court wasn't clear, so they, AB5 is an attempt to um, – clarify but it probably muddies the water more than it clarifies and and people who are think of themselves as independent contractors ought to be very in, involved in um, either getting this legislation um,
0: amended or defeated so if it passes what does that mean for an independent contractor
1: it, it means that just about anybody would be considered an employee and that is a whole different relationship with, your, with the employer who's going to have to uh, deal with uh, the, the rules that relate to an employee, number of hours, things like that, uh, work. And an independent contractor uh, would be something
0: that's gone. So they'll be uh, forced to hold back, withhold taxes, obviously, for that employer, like most employees are for state law. That would be true. They're also, um, now what about, then? does health insurance then kick in, all of a sudden these employers, that, even though they might be small small business owners, are, are all of a sudden liable for all these subcontractors, independent contractors, to take care of their health insurance? Health
1: insurance,
0: the le-
1: various leaves that people have, uh, family leave, whatever. All of those kinds of things. Whereas, if the person is an independent contractor, they would be
0: responsible for their own work and how they do it. Yeah. it seems uh, it seems like a lot to put on a small business. I know you know a lot of small business owners, uh, such as I do, and a lot of them. This would be this would be quite a, quite a daunting task, as well as for the independent contractors that came underneath them. This digs into the community more
1: than uh, I think people look at and think.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's move on to the second one, SB four four three um, by Susan Rubio. What's that all about? Well, I checked with the um,
1: uh, school district to see what their take was on this particular item because um, I wasn't as familiar with it. But there is, yeah, uh, Kids can uh, 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 schools districts can set up. Kindergarten for, which they call transitional kindergarten, for uh, children that are under five. Um, There is a specific rule as to when a district can begin to draw uh, their um, daily, um, what's it called? The money from the state per child. The study per child. As the law is written now, there is a period of time where that child could attend the school, but the school would receive uh, no uh, money for that. And uh, so Susan Rubio, who's a sender from district close by, in Senate Bill 443, is trying to correct that.
0: Now, um, to me, this bill seems like one, you know, I know we're talking about bills coming down that effect. Not all bills are bad. Um I'm one I tend to think that any new laws are bad laws, but I know that's a wrong way of thinking. Now I'm a little bit familiar with this TK1. I know that we have a deadline for schools as far as age and what they enroll and what grade they're going to be in. I also know that sometimes there are empty seats in the school. So it seems like this bill um they the, the district won't take them until they're 5 because they're not getting the state money, so they're not going to be paying for the the lunches, the teachers, the after school programs, or the aides, whatever they need. Um, this one would get any empty seats, allow children to come in before that, and the state start paying. So, this seems like it would bring money into the school district.
1: It would be a positive for the school district. And Clondora School District has written a letter of support. And uh, as a chamber, we would be supportive because it would be helping our schools uh, in the fact that. Uh, A child would be the school would be able to receive ADA for that child um, for a longer period of time not just not related to
0: their birth date but related to their enrollment date plus um, I would assume possible parents that are either paying for child health child care or having to stay home that would free them up to go and um, gain employment again go back to work or at least not have that child care Yes, it would be a
1: win, be a win win for them too.
0: Um, you know, just so we're not completely unbiased here, is there is there anywhere in the opposition that you know why wouldn't we do something like this?
1: Well, I think that the, the, there is little opposition to this particular bill at this time because it corrects something that
0: I think that probably was not originally intended. And I think that's a good way to look at it: is this this corrects it? Um, and I I don't want to get into the school district's ruling, but I'm assuming that it would just obviously once there was space in the classrooms, it could be on a first come first serve basis, and that's how the school would um, not not handle favoritism or anything like that, but get those seats filled. Yes,
1: it would. And okay. Students would be taken care of. Parents would be helped, and the school districts would be paid for that student.
0: Okay. Well, our next one is um, our third item, AB 161 requiring electronic receipts. This is, um, I'll let you introduce this one. I just have, uh, more and more I'm going to stores, and they're they're asking me for, that I have the choice between, uh, multiple choices, paper receipt, electronic, both, or neither. And uh, often I choose neither, but most of the time I find myself just saying, give me the electronic because my... My debit card or my credit card is already registered. I don't even have to put in my email address anymore. Um, but this makes that required.
1: Yes, that would be the uh, that would be the ultimate of the of the law or the bill AB 161. Um, for large businesses, this probably is not a burdensome thing. But for a small business, to have things set up electronically to automatically. Uh, Give the customer that choice um, is um, would be an additional cost and burden to the small uh, business person, the the one-person business even. Or um, I I yeah I don't know that um, you know restaurants are beginning to do it with their little kiosk items. You can have it sent, but it would affect small business.
0: Now, I know, um, you know, I'm one of those that I'm on my smartphone all day long, and I have internet wherever I go and hotspot even if I don't have a Wi-Fi connection. But say shops like downtown Glendora, you know, there's still some shops that, you know, this is forcing them to have electronic even if they don't, you know, a mom-and-pop shop or something like that. Some of these shops might not even have Wi-Fi. They Mm -hmm. might not even have the ability to go electronic even if you forced them. So this is – the, I I could see this really affecting. You know, we walk into a lot of shops, whether it's Glendora, uh, Monrovia, you know, downtown San Dimas, uh, downtown La And some of these shops, there's there's people that they're not like myself, you know, they're not on their smartphones all day. They still have the old cash registers and sometimes that adds to the atmosphere of an older restaurant or an older, you know, some of these hardware stores or something like that. And um, this, this seems like it's really forcing somebody... To do something, and I don't really see the benefit of it, other well, than some paper receipts. And we'll we'll leave CVS Pharmacy out of it because they have the five foot long receipts. But um, you know, for a little teeny paper receipt, I just and most people want those for their taxes anyway. They're gonna go home, and when it comes tax time, they're gonna print out the receipt again, probably in a full page paper now. That's right. um, I I just don't see the benefit of this.
1: Well, I, I think that it's overkill, and that uh, they're trying to limit the advertising opportunity probably that some businesses are doing with those uh,
0: six-foot receipts that you get. So we'll call this the anti-CVS bill? Yes. So we just refer to it as that? If you want to be specific. (laughs) But uh,
1: There are others that give you pretty long ones too. And and, uh, they could have probably dealt with this if they wanted to deal with it by saying the receipt can only... Contain certain types of pen information, or, yeah. or something like that.
0: Well, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with that either. Uh, the next few, I don't have too much of a background on, so I'm going to really leave these ones up to you. Um, item number four, AB one thirty eight, sugar sweetened beverages, which we'll refer to a couple times, I guess, to keep it short, as SSB. Uh, this is an SSB tax. What's that? What, uh, what does that kind of entail? Well, they've
1: gotten on a kick here, and there are five, five bills that uh, come under this particular um, heading of sugar-sweetened beverage. So we could just kind of group them all into one here, I we think. We will. Okay. The first one has to do with the tax on uh, sweetened, uh, sugar-sweetened beverages. It, it would impose a $0.02 cent per ounce tax on sugary drinks. Well, that creates a problem both for the business, creates a problem – of keeping track of how many ounces they've sold and that kind of stuff.
0: And what I'm reading here, what they're considering are a sugar-sweetened beverage is anything over 75 calories per, is it 16 ounces or 12 ounces? It's 12 I'm ounces. Wrong. So um, they're going after sodas here. Yes. Sodas, um, sugar, even Gatorades, things like that. So we'll uh, we'll call this the, the Big gold. <laughs> the big old r- r- group, of, group of bills. So they're really going after those drinks with multiple different things. So the tax, two cents per ounce. Yes. They're dealing with, they're
1: trying to, and they're thinking, deal, at least not, it seems to me, deal with stopping people from uh, drinking sugary drinks instead of leaving it up to people to decide that for themselves. And so they're going to tax it. They're going to um, say that you can't have uh you can't have it close to your uh checkout stand you can't have these next to that if it's an un uh sealed beverage container you can only have 20 or 12 ounces or 75 calories um and there are financial penalties that are are large the first one's two hundred dollars second 500 and the third one would be $1000 well uh, think of all the stores that have um, the, where you go and serve yourself. How, how are they going to keep track of how all of the uh, sugar beverages are, are charged two cents an ounce? It, it's, a, it's a nightmare. And then yeah. uh, the, the third one is SB 347, where they have to have safety warnings on all of the uh, safety warning level, labels on uh, these uh, beverages that are 75 calories or 12 ounces. Uh, The warning has to be prominently displayed separate from other product information, a contrasting background with a specified icon and font size, things like that that will drive both the uh, wholesaler who is preparing the product as well as the retailer trying to keep track (laughs) for tax purposes.
0: How much they've, um, how much they've actually sold. So to recap on those, the sugar sweetened, it's basically two cents per ounce. So on a twelve ounce drink, it would be twenty five, twenty four cents, you know, basically a quarter more. And they think that's going to limit people to not drink these drinks. That's um, that's their goal. That's the thinking. Um, also, then uh, you can't have near checkout areas. That's right. So any of the sugary drinks can't be anywhere within six feet of a checkout area. That's right. But they can be everywhere else. Yes, and they can't have more now. These six ounce this is the big gulp portion of it. You can't have more than seventy five or sixteen ounces of that drink. That is correct. So there's no more big gulps or whatever they call them, and other ones. Um, there's no extra large drinks, anything like that. That's sixteen right. ounces is the most by law you can sell; otherwise, you're breaking the law. That would that's that's their goal. And then put a warning on them, a, a warning on our soft drinks and sugar <laughs> yeah, sweetened drinks. That, okay,
1: that, that's that's the effort. Okay. To get us to quit drinking sugary drinks.
0: Yeah, my, my my thought is, are they really trying to prevent sugary drinks, or they is it a money grab? And uh, again, uh, it's one of those things. This is just my opinion, but the government's forcing our, a decision on us.
1: That that would be correct. I'm just I'm
0: wondering how much that tax would actually help.
1: Well, how how much
0: would it help, and where would it go? Is another uh, thing. So, if, it doesn't even say where that money, no. that tax goes to? No. no. Does it go to obesity programs? Does it go to, you know, the schools? You know, is, is that at least something that they could tie it into? You know, I went. I know we went, the schools went to healthy lunches during the, under the Obama administration. Would that tie into that at all? Well, I'm sure it's an out, an outgrowth of that, yes. Okay. And I don't know if, uh, do we have any other ones we wanted to go over today? Well, I, I think that... Uh, I know there was SB one more. One,
1: SB 135, which uh, expands the uh, California Family Rights Act, it's for a store that has more than five employees. Uh, I could not find any place that identified whether that was part-time, full-time only, but they would be granted. They could request up to a 12-week unpaid leave for family care and medical leave if they had, if they already had served that business uh, 180 days well, so six
0: months employment and then you can have up to 12 weeks off for for family leave
1: that's right and if you're a small business with five employees um it it really uh, it is a a, dif- a difficult thing to uh, ha- even though that's an unpaid leave finding a fill-in a training all of those kinds of things adds an extra burden of cost to the small business
0: and then what happens to that part-time employee once the other one comes back then you're forced to then, they're gone they're out of job okay because you've you have uh, kept that um
1: position open for them to come back and in this particular bill it also uh identifies more more uh family members that you can ask for a leave to take care of and than in previous bills, so it
0: counts a, an elderly parent, grandparent, grandchild, something like that. But you have to be the, I guess, labeled the caregiver for that, proving that you're you're the one kind of responsible for helping that person. Yes, uh, they. But that
1: the that designated becomes person. Very I discretionary they, yeah. when you uh, when the person one uh, asks for the leave, it becomes.
0: Uh, more difficult to say no. Just a couple of questions I had on this one. Um, you had mentioned part time versus full time, so it doesn't differentiate here.
1: Not that I could find. Okay. But I, I I I I look for it in the bill, but some of these bills are legalese that. Uh, and now, is it paid leave? No, it's an unpaid leave. It is an unpaid leave. Okay, it's just job protection then at this point. It's job protection, and it's they get to keep their. Uh, benefits so you're paying their benefits uh but you've got to find somebody to fill that space and uh, they've got to have the knowledge if it's if there's any uh training that needs to be done you would have to be paying as a business for that
0: okay and uh you know i'm i don't really know you know as far as opposition or pros and cons on this one you know i could see both sides of it you know i could see the parents that have you know a child that you know child care is hard to find child care for an infant is very hard to find and i know this goes over more than just child care it goes you know over you know spouses or domestic partners and people that are ill or things like that but um I can, I can see that it would help people that need to go care for somebody but there is there is that other side where it's more it's more um bills for small businesses it's like you said you have to hire the other person anyway so you are paying them the other person's not getting paid who's taking care of that person but you're now paying benefits for the person on unpaid. unpaid leave, and possibly even benefits or at least workers' comp insurance for the new employee.
1: You're going to have some expense for the part-time employee, and uh, that, uh, yeah, yes, it's it's a mixed it's a mixed bag, and and we've gotten so uh, wrapped up in our uh, in our laws now that you really can't use common sense. In other words, if somebody needed to be off for two weeks, um, that's that's one thing. But just to say, oh well, you can have twelve weeks. Um, they may need it, and they may not.
0: Mm. And I believe it's up to twelve weeks, correct? Yes, up to. So now, is there a stance on this that the any of these groups have? The advocacy groups have. Well, on the, this the, bill specifically, the uh,
1: Cal Chamber would would take an opposition to this. As it's written now, and 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 oftentimes they call them job killer bills, um, because this would uh, chop up some jobs. But uh, they also have an out if if amended, and there may be some ways that this could be improved upon that would uh, meet the the, the opportunity the need for the person to be off the job, but not uh, uh,
0: be burdens as burdensome quite to the uh, Employer. Okay. Um, To wrap it up, a couple things. One, where can people go for more information on this bill or any of these bills that we discussed, and more. And two, um, if they want to do something about it, if they want to write their congressperson in opposition or um, or maybe in support of one of these bills, um, what should people do? And we'll we'll put the links on the on the website as well. And you know, if we get this printed out anywhere, but. Yeah, what can people do, and where can they do it?
1: Cal Chamber has a website. They have an advocacy page. They have a page that lists all of the bills uh, that, they are, that they see as being detrimental to uh, businesses, whether big or small. And uh, they, in most instances, will list the bill, will list a contact in their office, and will also give you um, a letter— and tell you where it can be sent. Some of them, uh, if you dig a little bit deeper, will even uh, send it to the um, representative, whether it be the assembly member or the senator. And one of the things I need to add to that, Zach, is that when we meet with these the representatives of these um, organiza- uh, of these uh, elected representatives, they uh, will tell us. Uh, well, if I don't hear anything from anybody, I'm assuming that they approve it. Where, in many instances, nobody knows anything about it, and so um, it's trying to acquaint the public and the businesses and 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 regular citizens that these things are happening in Sacramento, and our uh, representatives need to hear from us on these. Yeah. And I,
0: I I disagree with that wholeheartedly. What you just said also. You know, they say, if we don't hear from anybody, it's fine. They, they expect it to go. <laughs> that's right. Well, no, that's why we vote for them in the first place. That's right. We vote for them to make the right decisions in favor of what they most likely know right. that we feel about certain yes, things. Sir. And uh, so that, we, you know, we have how many people in California? How many million? How many, how <laughs> many millions of people in California? We, we're not all going to go to Sacramento every day to read. That's why we have elected officials right. to go up there on our behalf and make the right decisions. So yeah, we're not going to, if they don't hear from us, it doesn't mean we're in support of these, some of these wacky things going through or whatever, but uh, you know, I, I really hate that argument. So you're, well, you're absolutely right. I, I hate the argument. And the fact is that the
1: legislators cannot keep up with all of the bills. When you figure they've got to really know what's in 4,500 bills that come before them, uh, they can't. And so, they too often go in and if it's got a d by it or an r by it that's kind of how they vote well that's we got to get away from that we got yeah. to
0: see what the business
1: uh, what the situation
0: is well yeah if you can figure out how to stop voting down party lines let me know <laughs> that i think i think a lot of people would be interested in hearing that one I, so but yeah. i agree with you so um, when we have when we have these things we unfortunately have to make waves sometimes to push back and let them know that we're not in favor of some of these things coming down the pipe it is important, or maybe that we are some of these. You know, some of these were okay, right?
1: Uh, it's it's trying to get in touch, stay in touch with the legislator that represents our, our particular district, and they need to see us when we're supporting something and when we're opposing something, so that they don't just see us when we're upset or opposed to something, because uh, we have Blanca Rubio as our assembly member, and we have. Uh, Anthony Portentino as our state senator, and they're reasonable people, but they, we've got to stay in contact with them, and we've got to let them know. And they do read what is sent. I, be, I fully believe that these two representatives do. I'm not sure that's uh,
0: what all of them do. Okay. Well, that's good to know, and, uh, yeah, see them in good times and in bad and let them know when we think they're right and they're wrong so we're not just the sky is falling or the little boy crying wolf, right? Uh, that's right. That's okay. Right. Cliff, I really appreciate it. I think it was a, I think it was a successful first podcast, and hopefully something that will continue to grow on in Glendora. And I would love to do it again with you and talk about some other things um, coming down the pipe also.
1: Good. I, th- I I'm willing to do that. And also uh, people that listen to this need to know that we meet on the first we uh, the legislative committee for our chamber meets on the first uh, Thursday of each month at the America's Christian Credit Union at noon. And And visitors are welcome as well as members.